Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Ladig, and we are continuing with the Library Chronicles discussions. And I thought um, for this particular session, it would be prudent of us to talk about one of the uh, recurring themes that has shown up in Dreams and Visions over the last uh, 20-ish years. And um, this was one that always kind of puzzled me. Like, I didn't know really what it meant. Um, I did get some insight um, back in October, I think it was. And, um, yeah, and some more insight just a couple days ago, um, because I asked, (laughs) what in the world is this stuff? Um, so anyway, um, I guess probably the easiest way to start is to just kind of read through some of the, uh, dreams and visions that I got and then we can kind of discuss it along the way, just like we've been doing. So um, the first one that I'm going to share, I've actually shared this before, I think, back when we were originally doing Nerd Unscripted. Uh, I call it first contact these days because it involves aliens, but um, it happened. I, I haven't, I'm still missing a journal. And so I'm not sure the exact date of when this happened, but it was around 1998 or 1999, somewhere in that period of time um, that this occurred. Uh, So in a dream, there was a gathering of people on a hillside and flat area. Uh, And I will say, even though I'm referring to it as a dream, because that's how it originally came to me, it was um, more like there's more to it than just a dream because I can still see it as clear as day, you know, 20 plus years later, um, which normally dreams aren't like that. Visions are more like that. Um, and actually just to kind of give a little bit of a setup, um, I lived here in the house still. It was the original house without all of the add-ons that Kristen and I had built. So I was still married to my first wife and she was really sick. And so, um, um, I don't remember now exactly what was going on with her, but I knew, I knew that, you know, just me moving around the bed, like while sleeping, you know, rolling over and stuff would shake the bed and that would, you know, not make her feel better. It would make her feel worse. And so I decided to go out into the living room and try to sleep on the couch, uh, just so that I wouldn't disturb her so that she could, you know, try to get some amount of sleep and so while I was sleeping on the couch um, that's when this experience happened so dream vision lucid dream you know who knows reality you know maybe Uh, but anyway so I'll start over Uh, in a dream there was a gathering of people in the hillside of flat area they were there waiting because for the first time there was to be first contact with aliens and they were awaiting the arrival. I was there and noticed the ship they had constructed to fly up and meet the saucers in the air. Preparations were still being made to the ship and somehow I was able to board the ship. One thing that struck me about the ship 
uh, one thing about the ship that struck me as odd was that they, the people working on the ship, were building walls on the ship out of bricks. I remember thinking how low-tech it was. All of a sudden, the crowd erupted, the flying saucers had arrived early, and there was an entire fleet of them, dozens if not hundreds. Honestly, the sight of that was kind of unnerving. <laughs> I still remember it plain as day. It's very unnerving. Um, uh, yeah, there were dozens if not hundreds. Everyone ran off the ship, meaning the one that they built, uh, to see the saucers for themselves. Uh, only I was left on the ship and was in the process of exiting as well when suddenly the ship's back door began to close and the ship started to rise up into the sky toward the saucer fleet. The higher my ship got, the faster it flew, and then without warning, my ship and the saucer fleet vanished. And so it was kind of like um, a tractor beam of sorts. I can't think of a better way of describing it. It's like they showed up, locked onto the ship that I was on, this saucer thing, and um, I started going up to where they were. And as soon as I got close to where they were, um, we all like took off kind of like, uh, you know, in Star Trek, whenever you see warp speed and they just, you know, they vanish. It was kind of like that. Uh, the next thing I knew, I was walking down a long corridor. It reminded me of a hospital, very sterile looking and very little detail. Suddenly, someone came running toward me with what looked like a huge laundry cart on wheels. As they passed by me, I looked and saw the cart was filled with what appeared to be dead people. Uh, legs and arms stuck up out of the cart. It was very creepy. One of the people I saw seemed familiar to me like a woman I know in real life. As I continued down the hallway... I saw a room at the end of it. As I approached the room, it appeared to look like a hospital room with a big observation window. I looked inside and there was a man laying in the bed hooked up to an IV. I recognized the man also as someone I know and he didn't look good. He was not awake and the IV was filled with a black liquid. It was very strange. As I tried to figure out what I was seeing, I was startled by a younger man wearing what appeared to be a wetsuit. He reminded me of a surfer. He looked at me and said, dude, how can you stand there with your skin exposed like that? I looked down and noticed that I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Very typical for me, <laughs> except in the wintertime. Uh, I asked him what he meant. He responded, it's not safe for you to have your skin exposed like that. As soon as he said that, it felt like Every cell in my body exploded to the point that it woke me up out of the dream. I was shaking as I woke up, and that's when I noticed that the entire room had a green glow to it. I ran out of the room and tried to process what had just happened. So, um, running out of the room meant that it scared the shit out of me. And... Um, I came to the sudden conclusion that I didn't care how sick my wife was. I was going back to bed because I wanted to be around someone. I mean, I've had enough weird experiences, even with like her in bed beside me, where, you know, I'd be awake but pinned down to the bed and not able to move uh, or speak or anything. I don't know if, if you've ever had that experience. It's 
it's weird. It's really weird. I've had it happen three or four times uh, over the years in different places, not just here at the house. One time while camping, and that one was probably one of the more intense intense experiences like that. But um, So whether this was real or not, or just a, excuse me, a dream or not, or a vision or not, I honestly can't tell you for sure. I know that whenever I um, woke up, as I mentioned, that the room really did have a a green glow to it. And more than that, it was kind of like, um, um, I don't know, whenever I first opened up my eyes, and this could have just been like a mental trick that, you know, whenever you're trying to wake up, um, you know, like if you're awakened suddenly, it startles you and, you know, trying to get your bearing can be really challenging. And so it looked like whenever I first opened up my eyes, like the room was almost pulsing with the green. Um, but in any case, eventually that greenness, uh, dissipated. So, you know, was I actually abducted in that? I have no way of saying one way or the other. I just honestly don't know, which is why I'm treating it as a dream. But the one thing that was really creepy to me was this notion of um, the black liquid or black blood uh, that was uh, in that dream um, that was coming through the IV. And, you know, it's one thing for that to be a one-time occurrence, um, except that it wasn't a one-time occurrence. And so that'll lead me to the second experience, which this was a vision, um, in 2002. So a few years after the original, about three or four, three or four years before the first time, um, there were actually two experiences that I had the same time. Um, in the first vision, I saw a small reservoir or pond, and it was filled with a black liquid that kind of looked like oil. Um, every once in a while, an air bubble would surface like there was a slow drain on the reservoir. I knew in the vision that the stuff in the reservoir was toxic and that it had a generational source. I also knew it was connected to something else, but I don't know what that something else is, at least at first. Um, and, uh, in the second vision, I saw a hospital room with a person lying in the bed connected to an IV. I couldn't see who the person was, but, uh, I was drawn to the IV. It was filled with the same black liquid, black toxin that the reservoir was. I realized that the IV was what was connected to the reservoir. Every so often doctors would come in and inject the patient with other drugs to counter the effects of the black toxin and the patient would begin to recover, but the toxic IV was never removed. So eventually the toxin would begin to poison the patient again. I watched this cycle happen several times and then the vision ended. In at the end of the vision, I had a strong impression that the IV was connected to the patient through woundedness. In the natural, an IV needle punctures into the bloodstream to allow for the flow of the contents of the IV. I believed in this spiritual picture, woundedness 
is that needle. Now, what's interesting about this one was, first of all, until I started writing the current Library Chronicles stuff that I've been getting in downloads, I never connected the dots between the first one that I read to you and the second, even though they're nearly identical in a lot of ways. I never put it together um, because they were independent experiences written in separate journals, and it just never occurred to me that there was a connection there. The other thing that's interesting about this particular one is that my um, my wife and uh, daughter, uh, Courtney, were having a lot of health experience, uh, experiences and issues. Um, and uh, continue to, to this day, my daughter Ashley as well. Um, and so I was praying for them and, and praying for an answer to what was causing it, what was going on. And um, these visions are what came to me um, right around that same period of time. And so um, it led me to believe that somehow this black toxin was, uh, was perhaps the cause of their uh, health issues. And that other things could counter it, like in the vision, how doctors would inject the patients with other drugs, but the drugs had helped for a while, but they never uh, detached the the black liquid, so it just made them sick again. And um, uh, one of the things that um, that always kind of struck me is that. I didn't know what the black liquid was. And I really uh, struggled with, like, to me, if it's causing a health issue with my family, or anybody's family for that matter, um, I want to know what it is. Otherwise, what good is the knowledge, you know? Um, and so it wasn't until much later that I actually got any kind of insight into it at all. Actually, it was during the library downloads. Um, William asked a question. Um, he said, you appear to be able to specifically recall details and conversations in your dreams and visions. To what do you attribute this ability to recall the details and conversations? It's a combination of things. Okay. First of all, um, some of them were so vivid that there's no way I could ever forget them. I mean, most of the visions, especially the past ones, um, are as clear to me in my mind now as they were then, so it's very easy to recall. Um, they're heavily impressed on my thinking, so it's not like an average dream, and that's kind of like what I was alluding to earlier. Like, a normal dream... Um, you know, we may remember when we wake up and then it's gone, you know, as the busyness of the day kicks in or, you know, we get a phone call or whatever the case may be, have a conversation with our uh, significant other, you know, whatever. Uh, and a lot of those dreams will pass. I mean, we have dreams every night, whether we remember them or not. And so um, 
these experiences have been different because they are so pronounced in my mind that even 20, 25 years later, I can see them in my mind's eye as if they occurred last night. Like they, they're just that impressed on me. But that brings me to the second part. And that is that um, ever since I was in my early 20s, I have journaled. And so, um, and I was smart enough to pay attention to the weird stuff, especially. And so when a lot of those experiences happened, um, I wrote them down and dated them right away. And, uh, so as a result, you know, I have 30 years worth of journals. Um, and I haven't always been faithful to that on a regular basis, unless something like one of these weird kind of things happen. And then I always wrote it down. And so, you know, part of the process that I went through as I was starting to get the library downloads was to go back through all of my journals, some of them which I had already transcribed in the digital form and others not. I still have, um, well, I've transcribed everything that I found. I'm missing one journal right now, which I haven't found yet. Um, and so I went through, you know, all of my backups and everything, you know, uh, a dozen old drives and all of that, uh, to compile all of the dreams and experiences and visions that I've had over the years into one document that is, uh, date sorted. Okay. And I've started, uh, keyword sorting them now as well, just for reference sake. Um, that's what I'm sharing today is one of those. Um, where I compiled different ones together that had the same kind of underlying experience. Um, and so some of it being written, some of it being so profound that there's no way I'll ever forget it ever. So that's how, for me, anyway. All right, so um, on October 14th, I just posed a simple question with no intention. Early on when I was getting these downloads, um, I made a conscious decision to not ask specific questions to start off with because if there were certain messages that needed to come through, I didn't want to like guide those messages in any specific way. Um, just, but just to kind of get it as a raw download. Um, and this is one of those times since then, um, the more recent ones that I've received have been very deliberate, um, questions that I've asked about topics. And that's kind of how I see a lot of it moving forward is, you know, I'm starting to ask questions about stuff. But anyway, in this particular one, I started off with, a simple question, and that is, uh, what insights do you have for me today? And um, here's the response. You have made the statement many times, you can't find what you don't know to look for. You are referring to content in the public domain, but that statement is also true in many other ways. At this juncture in human enlightenment, many don't know what to look for, not because they lack wisdom or understanding, but because of other factors. 
For too long, humans have been told what they are to look for, and they blindly obey. The deception has been well hidden under the guise of faith, devotion, duty, belief, salvation, pride, entitlement, and many more. While these attributes in and of themselves are not deceptive, their use as a control of power can be. As a result, many believe what they have, uh, that they have seen the light, when in reality they've only seen a reflection, smoke and mirrors. Years ago, you had a dream where you saw tentacles attached to everyone in your town. The tentacles looked like black tar and were attached to people's heads. Upon investigating in your dream, you discovered that the black tentacles originated from the church in your town. That is one example of the attachments that prevent people from seeing the truth about who they truly are and are meant to become. Uh, I responded... I forgot about that dream, but yeah, it was an eye-opener for sure. If I remember correctly, the tentacles extended well beyond our little town. They were everywhere and remained attached to people 24-7, regardless of what they were doing. And it's interesting because I had that dream whenever I would have been 14 or 15, which, interestingly enough, uh, puts that in the same timeline as whenever I saw that massive flying saucer over the town. That was in 1976, so I would have been 14. So right around that period of time. Um, but I had forgotten all about that dream, but in the dream it was interesting. The church, the, the town actually has several churches, um, and um, the church is still there course different pastor and everything but it's one of the churches that i grew up in and uh, so we were attending there and so i had this dream and it was really random but it was like i described it as black tar because that's kind of what it looked like um except that it like tar from the perspective of sticky you know like if you get tar on your fingers it you know just kind of sticks there but it was incredibly elastic I remember. And so like, it didn't matter if you were at church or you flew around the world. Um, it was kind of like, um, if you've ever played with thinking putty, if you know what that is, crazy Aaron's thinking putty. It's one of the things that we sell or slime, you know, how the more you, you stretch it out, it just, most of the time it doesn't break. It just gets thinner and thinner and thinner, but it's still there. Um, and this was kind of like that. Um, so, um, it almost seemed like it was living, but I had no frame of reference, especially then to, um, to make that determination in hindsight, I would guess that it probably was, and you'll understand why in a minute. So, um, they continued uh, belief systems and ideologies are like that. They lull people into a slumber. Those with power understand the importance of control and how to maintain it. In every case, these power tyrants are fully aware of what happens once people's eyes are open to what they don't know to look for. They lose control. Power. Yes, there are different levels to their game, but it is still the same game. Prevent people from discovering who they really are. 
As you know, one of the most effective and insidious ways to accomplish this is to present partial truth as whole truth. This method of control was so pervasive that humans even do it to themselves. You discovered that about yourself. You presented 95% of yourself as 100%. Not to intentionally deceive, but because you were convinced that you would be direct, uh, rejected if others knew about the remaining 5%. That is how subtle the deception can be. Uh, when What you failed to realize, however, that it was the 5% that connected you to the greatest treasures of the library. Once you made the choice to embrace your full self, your eyes opened in new ways, didn't they? And I said yes, uh, and I had no idea what would come from embracing my full expression, but I felt like I had no choice but to embrace it and to hell with what people thought, which is ultimately the conclusion that I came to with that. Um, and they continued, as we said before, people must be shown the way. That doesn't mean through the use of images or video. Yes, their alignment to life force must be adjusted like opening a valve. As the valve is opened and they begin to align with the flow of life force, they begin to see their true expression and are drawn to it. You could say they begin to awaken. The experience isn't unfamiliar to humans. It actually happens all the time. You may refer to it as aha moments. Even in church, people have real experiences. And real is in quotes. Um... You have seen it and experienced it firsthand, but those alignments are misrepresented. Once again, a piece of the answer presented is the whole. The truth is that if everyone's eyes open to the full expression of who they really are through life force, churches would be empty and religion would end. And so I asked, uh, so what is the most effective way to help others align with life force so that they can see who they really are? And they responded, show them, you're a reflector, that's not by chance. That statement um, is based on uh, human design. Um, you may remember at the end of the first run of Nerd Unscripted, I had our friend uh, Natalie Collins on, and she talked about human design. That's something that she's involved heavily in. And so based on their charts and how they calculate things, um it came out that I was a reflector. There's like five different types of people. Um, I'm a reflector and that's like 1% of the population or something like that. So apparently we're kind of rare. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care, but that's what they say. Um, a perfectly placed mirror aligned with the flow of life force is a most powerful eye-opening tool for others to see. Your purpose here has been to show... Uh, has been to learn how to see differently and then show others how to do the same. You're stepping into that now. Your toe is in the pool, so to speak. But it is soon time to dive into the deep end. Remember your experience with first light? The man standing there beside you who placed his hands over your eyes to reveal the light wasn't Jesus. It was the real you. And the glowing city you saw wasn't heaven. The glow that you saw were others being awakened and aligned to life force. You saw them and then became them, uh, became like them. Uh, remember what you behold, you become. 
There are many like you already, and there is becoming millions more. And so I asked, how do I, exactly do I do that? And they said, you have already started, but also new ideas are coming. Stories, insights, and ways of connecting by reflecting. Remember, you have access to the library. Use it. Ask, seek, and knock. And then I put an additional note. Uh, people look, but they don't observe. Their eyes are open, but they don't see. And so um, there's actually a lot to unpack in this particular statement, and we're not going to address it all today. Um, there's a lot of overlap you've probably noticed in some of the downloads that I'm getting. And I think that, that one of the reasons why is because of, um, you know, picturing things from different perspectives to, you know, like different ways of saying the same thing. Now, what I didn't realize at first was in this particular download was the answer to what the black liquid was. And it didn't even occur to me. As a matter of fact, um, just even over the last week, I still had no idea what the black liquid was. You know, whether it was the tar and the vision that I had when I was, or dream I had when I was 14, um, or in the other dreams and visions that I had, I, like, it didn't occur to me that they had actually already told me what it was to a certain extent in this particular download in October. Uh, and I didn't even realize it until just a day or two ago. Um, but I did ask just a few days ago over the weekend, um, specifically what the black liquid was and the answer was very short and very clear and that answer was toxic beliefs and so um the more i've thought about it meditated on it and have gotten additional insights regarding that is that um in the 2002 vision that i had where the doctors would come in and give other medicines and it would cause improvement. But then um, because that black liquid IV was still attached, they would get sick again. And, um, and so that's really how belief is, isn't it? Um, we have these beliefs that we're attached to, um, whether they're religious beliefs, political beliefs, cultural um, on and on. Uh, we have beliefs about the world around us. We have beliefs about um, certain uh, ideologies and concepts. We have beliefs about each other. Um, and more importantly, we have beliefs about ourselves. And um, we all know that. That's common knowledge. But by the same token... Um, it's important to understand that it's those beliefs that are what control us that can um, have a, a very negative or positive effect on us. Uh, one of the thoughts that um, came to me a while back was uh, regarding uh, those beliefs specifically and how, you know, we can try to let them go. Like, uh, we don't view worry as a belief necessarily. 
Um, but yet it is. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm just a worry wart. That's who I am. So we adopt this belief about ourselves. It isn't true uh, one way or the other, but we adopt it. And so because of that adoption, it influences everything about our lives. And, um, and so as we adopt a belief and make those choices, whether it's about ourselves or about other people or about circumstances, uh, that becomes our new normal. And it's like our consciousness resets itself, kind of, uh, to where we feel stressed about something until we accept it wholly, and then that becomes the normal. And then um, <clears throat> we carry, you know, maybe we start stressing about something completely different, and we're carrying stress over time, but then our consciousness resets, and that becomes the new normal, and on and on it goes. And so all of a sudden, if we have a breakthrough, and uh, somehow that burden of stress is released from us in any form, whether it's through, you know, there's a lot of different ways to release negative energy from us, um, dozens of ways. Uh, it feels like this big weight that has been lifted off of us, right? We've probably all experienced that in one form or another. Um, the reason why we didn't necessarily feel like we were carrying that weight is because our belief systems had reset to normal. And so we were under massive amounts of stress or worry or whatever, didn't even realize it because we were used to it. It was our baggage that we carry. Like, it's amazing to me. One of the things that's come out over all these downloads is how we as humans have all of these phrases that we say, these colloquialisms that honestly point to the truth. You know, they highlight the truth in ways that regular conversation just doesn't. Um, and so, like, that's a really good you know, example. You know, well, we've got baggage, or baggage, you know. All of us have baggage in one form or another. But in reality, the baggage is just simply belief. You know, belief that we did something wrong. Which is why, you know, you have children who, um, you know, grow into adults um, and perhaps their um, parents divorced whenever they were young, six, seven years old, and they take on the belief that their parents divorced because of them, that they did something wrong or it was their fault or whatever. And of course, it's not true, but it doesn't matter that it isn't true. It's what they believe. And then that belief changes into other things. And as I've shared many times before, that was one of the things that happened um, with me regarding rage and anger and all of that. Whenever I was younger, it was attached to a belief that my great-grandmother, who was like my favorite person in the world, who babysat me and all of that, that she abandoned me and that I must have done something wrong to cause that to happen. She died from a brain aneurysm, but I didn't like... At eight years old, I didn't know how to process that. I didn't know what to do with it. So I buried it. And not consciously saying, oh, wow, I don't know how to process this, so I'm just going to set it aside. Kids don't think like that. It just happened. You know, over time, you just live life, and life goes on, and you do what kids do or whatever. And then as a result, you know, I'm a pissed-off human being. Uh, as a young adult, just 
kind of accepted the fact that that's who I was. That was my normal. Except that it wasn't my normal and it was impacting other people. And it wasn't until, um, you know, there was a lot of pushback from my wife and secondarily through my children that I realized something was seriously wrong and I didn't know what. Um, and once I really got honest and opened myself up to the idea that I may have beliefs that were wrong, that's when the truth really started revealing itself. Um, everything we believe to be true, uh, honestly, should be open for debate. It should be open to question. Because our beliefs have such a major impact on who we are as people, on our successes, our failures, all of that. Um, every success that you have in your life, regardless of what area of your life it's in, is because of what you believe. Every failure that you have in your life, irregardless of what area you're talking about, finances, relationships, whatever, every failure is based upon belief. How you view other people, right or wrong, based upon your beliefs. Um, it's just that simple. If you're struggling in your business and you can't figure out how to make ends meet or what to do next, it's because of your beliefs. If you're wildly successful in something, it's because of your beliefs. It, ultimately, it comes down to that. And so it's not a hard stretch at all to believe that this toxic black liquid that is hooked up to people through an IV, quote unquote, is just the beliefs that we accept that's being fed to us. If And uh, as I kind of concluded in the one uh, vision there, it's our woundedness that often forges that connection. And so true healing, true forgiveness, gratitude, love, those kinds of things are what disconnect. And that kind of leads me to another thing that was shared with me over the weekend. Because I, you know, whenever they said that it was, that black liquid was toxic beliefs, um, as you would imagine, my next question was, so how do we combat that? And they once again ref um, referred to the statement that light overcomes darkness and so on and so forth. And whenever they said that, I had this picture in my mind of a, um, I'll try to describe it. <laughs> um, so it looked like, there was, like I saw one of those IV lines, okay, and the black liquid coming through it. And it was like somehow the light, there was light like radiating over it in a way that um, neutralized, I guess that would be the best word, uh, neutralized the black liquid. Okay, it was almost like uh, like radiation therapy in a manner of speaking, except that the light somehow transformed this black liquid into a neutral substance that didn't have, you know, wasn't poisoning the people that it was attached to. And so um, what I took from that was that 
Um, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record in this, but it's just how it is. Um, if you look at that whole scenario from a vibrational perspective, um, or frequency perspective, the higher vibrational, um, tools that are available to us, gratitude, love, forgiveness, thankfulness, kindness, you know, all of those things like we've discussed in the past. Um, whenever those are applied to the negative parts of our belief system, um, it neutralizes them. And one of the things that was stated to me was that um, darkness can never overcome light, can never beat it. And uh, that should be encouraging to us. You know, you can be in the darkest of dark rooms, but you turn on even the dimmest of lights, a tiny little LED. Dark can't stop it. It's impossible. Um, one of the questions that I had years ago that just popped back into my mind, you know, me thinking that I was the smarty pants and all, um, I remember asking a question, you know, well, if light can never overcome, or if light can never be overcome by darkness, then how do black holes exist? Right. I thought I finally found a gotcha for God. Um, except that I didn't <laughs> because the explanation, uh, to me was, uh, light doesn't overcome or Darkness doesn't overcome light, period. You refer to a black hole as it having the power to absorb light, but that's actually not the case. What the case is, is that you don't understand what a black hole is. Uh, and they talked about black holes being uh, doorways and all of that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, you can't destroy energy. Energy only cha uh, changes form. And so... You know, once again, I was wrong. Surprise, surprise. That happens more than not. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought that this was incredibly profound because our beliefs, you know, we all have them and it affects all of us. And, and here's the thing. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, you and I can have opposing beliefs about a given topic of uh, instead of using that word let's call it vantage point point of view okay for a minute let's just not call it beliefs you have a way of seeing something that is different or perhaps even opposite to how i see something so typical logic would say that since they're opposite or radically different, that one has to be right and the other has to be wrong. You can't have it both ways. But what I'm here to tell you is that we can have it both ways because, as we've established before, there is no such thing as right or wrong. They don't exist. Uh, cause and effect exists. Right and wrong do not exist. And so... Uh, because of that, your beliefs about any given topic or your point of view on any given topic 
can be completely different, completely opposite of mine, and we both be correct. How? Because we are unique individuals on a unique spiritual journey. And so we have to embrace what serves us personally on our journey, even if what we embrace as truth in a very positive way is different from what somebody else embraces as truth. So who am I to dictate that your path is wrong and mine is right? That's called religion. Like, who am I to do that to you? Because I'm not you. So how could I possibly understand what your journey is any more than how you could understand what mine is? You know? I mean, by all accounts, accounts I'm probably insane. <laughs> In some form or another, based on definitions. But aren't we all? You know, whenever you look at some of the things we latch on to, you know, you'd think we'd have to be insane just because it makes zero sense to the rest of everyone else. Which is why, you know, sharing a lot of this stuff originally was challenging for me because it would pretty much confirm the fact to other people that I was crazy. Um, but I honestly, I, I just don't care because my desire and... um marching orders, I guess, so to speak, are that my I'm supposed to show other people how to see differently. If you don't learn how to view things from different points of view and different perspectives and open yourself up to possibilities that you previously thought were impossible, how on earth are you ever going to be able to become fully who you're supposed to be? You know, we we buy into a lie that we tell ourselves most of the time. I did it for years and years. You know, it wasn't until, um, until I had an experience in a retreat that really um, stripped me down to my core. And I've shared that before, but I'll share it again just briefly for the sake of context. Um, the retreat that I went to is called Radical Leadership and it's a three day, you know, shut away kind of thing. So no no phone calls, no devices, nothing like that, which was a little challenge for me running an online business. But um so we were unplugged for three days. There's a small group of us, I think ten or twelve. And we were all on this journey together, but yet it was unique to each of us independently. And so there were common exercises that we went through, but they were expressed in different ways because each of us were different. But I remember for me specifically, um, I went through most of the weekend thinking that it wasn't doing anything, that, you know, it just wasn't helping. And it was like $3,000. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that I, quote unquote, getting my money's worth. Um, I, what I didn't realize, though, was that it was um, my fault. I wasn't open to it. And um, I went into that weekend feeling like I had hit a ceiling. Um, it was just the weirdest feeling in the world. Um, I felt like I was trapped in a box. And I didn't know why. 
like I was stuck. There was some life things going on that were extremely uncomfortable that I didn't know how to fix. Um, it's just a lot going on. And, um, so I went to this weekend and I mean, it was fine, you know? And, um, I remember the last day, um, each person took a turn standing in the center of the group. Um, and part of it was to help, I guess, move us to the next level. So, you know, different ones would ask questions, especially the, the leader, um, uh, who, the person who was leading the event. And, uh, so it finally came to be my turn. And, um, the, the gal who, uh, was facilitating the event, very, very smart, very, um, attuned. I guess you could say, um, she could like see through the bullshit really easily, which I appreciate. I, I love people like that. And so, um, she had asked me this question about who I really am or something like that. And I started, you know, alliterating on all of the philosophical bullshit <laughs> that I often do. I mean, you guys have been hanging out with me for years. You know how I can be. Um, and so she she shut me down. She stopped me mid-sentence. And uh, I forget the exact phrase she said to me now, but there was an audible gasp in the room. You know, like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, everybody else is like, please don't do that to me. You know, but it got my attention. And, and I'll never forget, she said... Um, She said, you need to stop. I'm not interested in Tony the philosopher, Tony the teacher, Tony the photographer, Tony the dad, you know, all of those things. And she just listed down basically everything of who I was, or at least who I saw myself to be. She's like, I want you to uh, just cast all of that stuff aside, like get rid of all of it, because none of it's relevant. And... um she said, so with all of that stuff gone, I want you to tell me who you are. And honestly, it scared the hell out of me. I mean, talk about feeling naked. Um, I kind of felt like that. And, um, but I needed that. You know, I needed that kind of frankness. And so, um, I stood there for a minute and the only thing that would come to my mind was that it would just be me. She's like, what's left? And I said, I guess just me. And she said, that's exactly right. And as soon as she said that, it was like my brain exploded. I'm like, Oh crap. Because it, it took like this light. Remember earlier I was talking about how, you know, what I was shown in the download over the weekend, that this light 
radiated and irradiated the black till it neutralized it, the black liquid, the belief. That's what Therese did. And whenever she uh, revealed that to me, it was like the light in the moment just took that belief that I held about myself, the 5% that nobody wanted to see. It wasn't like some horrible crime or something like that. Uh, in reality, it was just that, you know, I'm this weirdo nerd that, you know, had weird flying saucer experiences and supernatural occurrences and all of that. I figured that people wouldn't want to hear that or know who I was or they would think I was a, a weirdo and push me aside or whatever. And so that's why I hid it for so long. Um, so that was the 5%. And, um, I mean, you've heard me talk over the last couple of years. <laughs> There's been a lot of weird. Uh, but anyway, it was really liberating. I mean, it stripped me down to my core. But it neutralized that belief in me. And, and all of a sudden, uh, I became aware of the fact that that limitation that I was feeling, like, I was bumping up against a ceiling or and enclosed by walls and all of that, that I was the one who created that ceiling and I was the one who created those walls. And that as soon as I accepted the fact that that 5% was also me and that it was all just me, that I wasn't Tony the photographer or Tony the teacher, even though those are things that I'm good at, they, that isn't just me. Um, all of a sudden I became aware of the fact that the walls and the ceiling were imaginary. They weren't real, and it's like they vanished uh, in an instant. And you might think, well, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, you have this big revelation about who you are. But it really changed a lot with me. And I thought, okay, so my beliefs were changed. That's awesome. Um it's what happened in the next seven days after the event was over um, that started literally within an hour of the event being over um, that, that caught my attention. Um, within an hour of the event ending, I received a phone call that basically one of the big issues that I've been trying to figure out how to change and get out of and all of that worked itself out completely in a way that I never would have guessed in a million years. I didn't even do anything. It just came to me. Two days later, um, I had partnered up with um, Jay Boyer and John Rhodes at that time to release this little $17 course called um, PS Instant Expert. Some of you might remember that. Um, so this would have been 2013, I think, or 14, somewhere, 2014. PS Instant Expert. And, uh, you know, basically me talking about Photoshop. And so it launched the Tuesday after this experience, this getaway. Um, we did uh, 
$370,000 on that launch of a $17 course. I mean, we had upsells and stuff, of course, but um, it's pretty damn insane if you think about it. Especially given that a lot of what I shared and, you know, you could find on YouTube for free. But anyway, um, and it was just, it was just like that. I mean, everything kind of changed radically um, after that point. And so to me, it was just kind of a confirmation that um, I was one to something in, in embracing the real me, that, that full expression of who I am. And so it wasn't really until um, this particular download that I just finished reading um, that I realized that this person who I was standing with on the shoreline in the first light vision was me. I was there, you know, um, I was with this other person multiple times. I assumed whenever those dreams happened and visions happened that it was Jesus just because I had the sense that there was like an, an all knowing for lack of a better way of saying it with this person. So given that I was working for a Christian publisher and very, very actively involved in church and prayer teams and all of that kind of training and everything, it was an easy conclusion to make because I had no other frame of reference. But then the other thing that kind of played into it, and I kind of alluded to this, I think a week or two ago, um, was the discovery of the source of these downloads. Uh, yeah, the library is real. We're all plugged into it. We can't not be plugged into it. That's just how it is. But the library in and of itself isn't what's talking to me. Isn't the voice inside my head, if you will. Um, you know, it would be easy to assume that it's some divine source or God or whatever. I mean, that's easy. Holy Spirit. Because that's what we're trained to believe that the voices inside our head are. It's the Holy Spirit or it's divine source or whatever the case may be. But for me, maybe not for you, but for me, in getting these downloads, what I've come to discover is that these voices in my head talking are the same voice that stood with me on that beach in those visions. The highest version of myself, the complete Tony, if you will. And so you could say, oh, okay, well, if it's the complete you, that means you're just making all this shit up. I'm not. Um, there's, I have no reason to believe that that's the case because this voice in my head has been with me for years and I can hear it very clearly. It's not demons. It's not anything like that. I mean, that's just stupid. But why would it be such a stretch for us to think that the full expression of who we are. And I don't even mean who we are as a person because our human expression is by far not a full expression of who we are as, as an uh, individual. You know, it's kind of like a, 
a pale version of who we truly are. Um, so why would it be such a hard stretch that the highest version of ourselves would be the same one communicating with us? Who would know us better than, you know, the full expression of ourselves? So I'm open to the fact that I'm 100% wrong. But for all intents and purposes right now, I'd, I'm not sure that I'm wrong. Uh, but at the end of the day, truth is truth. And so if there's uh, truth in what I've been sharing that can help each of you be able to see things in new ways or to be more curious about your own involvement with yourself and what's holding you back, what's preventing you from being more than you currently are, understanding more than you currently understand, uh, loving more than you currently love, um, then my work here is done. You know, because that really is why I'm here, um, is to help people see differently. It's been an ongoing theme throughout my entire life of seeing differently. I don't know why. If you think about it, just kind of being reflective right now. Um, everything that I do, even in my regular business, the courses that I teach, all of that, if you really dig down and think about the uh, most of the teaching that I do from a very objective point of view, what do my courses do? They introduce things that you've not considered before, perhaps. Uh, introduce you to new tools, new strategies, and ways of accomplishing things. What is that? It's showing people how to see differently. Most of you probably never considered using artificial intelligence to generate art before I introduced that as courses. Same with using photographs and turning them into illustrations to illustrate books. And I'm not saying that to say that I'm something special or all that in a bag of chips because that idea came to me, it just came to me and I shared it with everybody else and everyone else like, holy crap, I never thought about doing that before. And then, you know, use that to succeed. Uh, and that's, that's just who I am. That's my call, so to speak. And so, uh, yours is going to be different. In some cases it's going to be the same. Um, but you have to know what that is. And I always say, and I truly believe this, that we all already know why we're here. We may live in denial. We may believe that it is impossible or we don't see a clear path on how to become that or be that or whatever, but it doesn't change the fact that we really know who we truly are, why we're truly here, what our mission is. Um, and so for me, um, Anything I can do to help awaken you to that, I'm excited to participate in that. <coughs> so that kind of leads me into uh, um, another dream that I had a few years ago back in 2017. And we'll probably uh, wrap up with this. And then there's a couple comments that I want to read. Uh, in a dream, I was taken to a location 
And by the way, this is another one of those that I remember as clearly as if it happened last night. It's just insanely clear. There's never been follow-up to it, which is disappointing. But that may come. But anyway, uh, I was taken to a location. I don't know where it was. I have a feeling it was the Dome City, now that I think about it. But that wasn't stated in the dream. I was there to have a procedure done. Um, there was also supposed to be a woman there, but she didn't show. I somehow knew who the woman was. She was younger with dark skin, like a mix of nationalities. The procedure involved my eyes, but also something with other parts of my body. The doctor, in quotes, reminded me a lot of Imtano, um, you know, one of my customers and friends here. Uh, similar in appearance and voice. Uh, they, the doctor and a helper who was female, began the procedure with my eyes. It seemed to take a while, and I had no idea what they were doing. Uh, there was no pain to it. I was told it would increase the sensitivity to my vision. Once again. Uh, but it wasn't like my eyes would be more sensitive to light, but rather to see a wavelength not normally possible. Uh, after the procedure was finished, or at, or at least that part of it, I was told that the effects of what they did would last for 26 days. Uh, not sure the significance of that time period. I'm still not sure, honestly. Um, I was then left in the room to recover. The lights were out, but there was a big window on the one wall I had noticed previously. It was... Uh, it was covered, so I couldn't see out of it. After some time, the doctor came back into the room and said that he wanted to check my progress. He opened the window and asked me to lay down in front of it. I was laying on my back with my head facing the window, so I was looking out and up, upside down. He then asked me what I saw. Sound familiar? Like the uh, the first light vision, right? I just that just occurred to me. Um, asked me what I what I saw. Uh, what I saw was crazy. Instead of seeing lots of stars, I could see ships traveling across the sky. Uh, lots of them. There were full lanes of space traffic everywhere. I could see all types of ships, and by ships, by the way, I mean like um, like flying saucer ships. Alien, alien craft. Uh, there were thousands of all types. Um, some were simply flying across the sky, sometimes straight, sometimes in erratic patterns. Others were taking off or landing. It reminded me a lot of Los Angeles traffic. There were so many. I remember following several of them with my finger as I described what they looked like to the doctor. I could also see what appeared to be other galaxies and nebula. At first, I thought I was seeing deeper into space, and that could have been part of it, but I realized that I was, what I was actually seeing were layers of history all overlaying each other. Imagine if you had hundreds of video projectors, each showing a different movie on the same screen simultaneously. That's what it was like. I mentioned the overlays to the doctor and said we needed a way to separate the signals, to tune into each frequency individually. Then I mentioned about being able to see sound 
and how that might somehow help with separating the layers. Now, I'd love to say that I remember what that looked like, being able to see sound, but it, I don't. I don't remember. Um, then it occurred to me that while I was, what I was seeing was reflections of events that had happened all around the galaxy, except overlaying on top of each other, and that's because the receptors in my eyes could now distinguish the faintest of light reflections, except also at many other frequencies than just visible light. I asked the doctor again how long the changes in my vision lasted. He reiterated 26 days. Then he mentioned about needing to reschedule me to come in for the full treatment. I had the feeling that uh, what was done to me was just a small portion of many steps planned. I don't know if the other steps were related to being able to see differently or not. As the doctor was leaving the room, he told me to get some rest. But I just laid there looking out into the sky, blown away by what I could see. It was then I realized that what I was seeing was a layer of current reality that was hidden to most of humanity. Uh, and then I awoke. So that was a very, very interesting experience related to seeing, obviously. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I don't, like, even though the dream itself was very vivid, very clear, I can still see, um, like, what, what it looked like with the ships and everything. And I'll be honest, I mean, um, most nights when Kristen and I go out into our hot tub, if it's clear, I do everything I can think of to try to see those ships. I mean, it made such a real impression on me that, you know, I constantly am staring at the sky. I, I mean, I've been like that ever since I was young. But <coughs> So if there's going to be a continuation of this at some point, I don't know. Perhaps these downloads from the library are that. I don't know. Um, one other one that I'll share here, it's a short one. I just wanted to include it because it's weird. Just to kind of give you an insight in this, again, some of the strangeness that comes to me sometimes. Um, this was in 2018. So actually just uh, a week and a half after the one I just read. Um, in a dream I had... Um, I held several small devices that created gravitational bubbles, which enabled levitation based on resonance frequency. My understanding was that the device, about the size of a small flashlight, would perform a scan of the individual holding it to determine its frequency set. Then, using that information, would create an anti-gravity bubble that would enable the individual, car, or whatever to levitate. I saw it work for me, but also for several vehicles and other objects. Propulsion would allow uh, for forward travel, although there was uh, an electromagnetic component to the travel as well. I asked a question um, about the role mass played, meaning that uh, meaning would something larger or heavier require a larger device. The response to me was that mass had nothing to do with it, that the equations focusing on mass were wrong. Um, the device works through resonance frequencies. And 
this has really nothing to do with what we were talking about other than just a demonstration of seeing differently, but involuntarily almost because it was a dream. Yet I was able to interact with the dream, so it was probably a lucid dream. Um, but uh, it's not the first dream where I've seen how to make things like this. I mean, there was a dream about teleportation and stuff in the past, but the thing that I really appreciated the most about this particular dream wasn't so much that these devices were creating gravitational bubbles uh, that allowed levitation. It's, it's what they said to me about mass not playing a role in it. Because, again, we have this belief that, you know, gravitation or, you know, gravity... Um, you know, the bigger something is, the heavier it probably is based on its mass. Um, and so as a result, moving past that belief, you know, a 20 ton granite boulder cannot possibly be picked up by a human being. Um, that makes it impossible for us. Yet the response to the question that I asked was that mass has nothing to do with it. And the equations that we have, like E equals MC squared, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared, that those are wrong. You know, so everything that we think about as mass, if you threw that out the window and said, well, mass doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, stories that you hear about, you know, people being able to levitate giant boulders using sound all of a sudden aren't so crazy. You know what I mean? So again, it goes back to seeing things different. I mean, this is kind of a bigger view of looking at something differently and setting aside beliefs that limit this as a possibility. But yet it's the same exact principle of what we've been talking about today at how, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I believe that that could be true. Because deep down, we believe that we'll never actually experience it. <coughs> but it's the same kind of belief systems that hold us back. That prevent us from becoming who we can really can be or who we really are. Because as we've established in the library, all of that stuff already exists. All of it. Including the real you. The full, complete expression of who you are already exists in the library. And, you know, we're plugged in to an IV. Um, the IV is life source. That's what's coming down. It's all of these secondary things that say, oh, no, that can't be true. You know, um, I, you know, if, if we truly embraced who we are as individuals and, you know, who we're called to be or whatever, what scares many of us is that there is a level of responsibility attached to that. You know, it's like, well, I can't possibly be that person because I don't even know how I would be that person. You know, and so that gets us off the hook. You know, we don't, ha you know, if we don't embrace that part of ourselves, I'm not really an artist, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, maybe I feel like I should write a book, but I don't really know how to write. Therefore, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it gets us off the hook, <clears throat> at least in our own mind. But we really aren't off the hook. Never will be.
um, and some may not agree with this, but <clears throat> what you get yourself off the hook for now, you're not actually off the hook. You just get another opportunity to try to embrace it again. Whether it's in this lifetime or the next one, we're never really off the hook. And so, um, better to just, you know, get with the program and get aligned and get her done, so to speak. Uh, and whatever that means to you, it, you know, it could, doesn't have to be a profound spiritual thing. So we all grow up and become, you know, weirdo gurus. I'm not talking about that. Um, you know, it could be a very straightforward, simple thing that we see other people do and do really well. And deep down we have this longing or yearning unknowing that we're called to do the same thing yet every time we try it looks stupid or it don't feel right or we give up or i'll never be what i could be or whatever and so as a result we just don't do it and so as a result you know maybe we gravitate toward certain kinds of music or musicians because deep down we really want to be like that but we're either unwilling or scared to put in the time and the effort or we gravitate toward an artist or a writer or whatever the case may be we're creators you know you can't set aside creation it's part of who we are but yet sometimes we will set it aside our own dreams and desires in favor of following somebody else who is achieving what we really know we're supposed to be achieving as well or something similar as a cheap substitution for the real dream and vision of who we are. So, you know, we follow that YouTube channel or we read that book or, you know, take the course or whatever. Anything that reminds us of who we have the potential to be, to kind of fill that void that can only be filled by us raising our hands and saying, okay, I'll do it. Probably those three words, I will do four words. <laughs> I will do it. It's probably one of the most terrifying phrases that many of us could ever think or speak. Because that means breaking those connections with beliefs that have prevented us from becoming who we're supposed to be. And listen, I'm not, I'm speaking from personal experience, okay? Uh, I accomplish a lot in my business, but I can tell you for a fact that a lot of what I teach in my business is exactly what I'm talking about. It's a substitution for me doing certain things. It's like, oh, I teach people how to illustrate their own books or teach people how to do X, Y, Z, whatever. But there's things that I'm called to do that I haven't done yet. And uh, as the uh, library so kindly reminds me um, about every other day, uh, it's unavoidable. 
I can't not embrace those things. And so I'm not, um, I'm not exempt from any of this either. <laughs> if anything, it just gives me a position of being able to see it so clearly because I see it for myself that I can say, hey, you know, I'm nobody special. So if it applies to me, it applies to you. Uh, because it, it really does apply to all of us. We all have those limiting beliefs and, uh, and all of that. So anyway, I'm going to switch over here to comments and questions because I can feel emotion building. And if I don't shut the hell up, I'm going to start crying and I don't really want to do that. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Kathleen says, I heard the show with Natalie. I've wondered ever since, what is a reflector? So the way human design works, it, it's very similar to astrology in some respects, uh, only from the perspective of uh, it's based on your exact time of birth uh, plus location. And then that determines which of the five, um, which of the five, uh, I don't want to say personality types, cause that's not exactly it, but which of the five types of beings you are, uh, and I'm not an expert at it. Um, I'm learning, but from what I understand, um, the reason why it's based on, um, time and location is because it has to do with um, the types of, um, uh, the word just slipped out of my mind, the different types of uh, like cosmic particles that were hitting the earth at that specific moment. So there's a very scientific underlying element to it. Um, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, everybody born on April 6, 1962 is a reflector. You know, um, it isn't like that at all. Um, or even somebody that was born a minute after me that, well, they would also be a reflector. Um, it doesn't work like that. It has to do with a lot more of that, uh, from a science perspective, but, um, so whenever you factor those things in, uh, and there's, uh, Honestly, there's online sites that you can go to, including Natalie's. I think I shared it in the original one, um, where you put in that basic information and then it tells you, um, you know, what you are. Like there's reflectors and generators and manifesting generators and um, I forget the other ones. Um, and so whenever you look at... Uh, and there's a lot more to it, like there's gates and stuff like that that might be open and closed that can determine um, how you think in certain ways. But every single person that we have um, done that on, you know, uh, what we found out is that it's so uncannily accurate to the person. It's just kind of weird. Um, weird in a good way. I mean, I'm, I'm an experimenter, you know, I'm a researcher. And so, you know, I've been through, um, probably every major personality test that exists. I've had, 
astrology charts done. I've had numerology charts done, um, human design, all of those things. I've had all of them done uh, because I'm curious, you know, either it's bullshit or it's not or somewhere in between. And, um, and I've had, you know, prophetic words spoken over me in church and all of that, you know. So for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me personally, every single one of those things, um, multiple prophetic words when I worked for the Christian Publishing Company, um, my astrology charts, numerology charts, um, human design, even my handwriting analysis, which I've also had done, all of those things say the exact same thing for me. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Um, but it all, everything keeps coming up the same. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, you know, you know, we're taught that in some circles, of course, that, you know, numerology is evil or astrology is evil or whatever, but, you know, I just don't really believe that anymore. Um, so I, I found that interesting. Now, one thing I can say is like my daughter, Courtney, I've had a lot of those things done for her also because she's always been kind of a little bit off. And I mean that in all due respect. Um, Courtney is an interesting study because she is out of sync with what everything says she's supposed to be. Like, um, she, uh, whenever I've, like, all of the different tests that I've done for her, numerology, astrology, all of it, all say the same thing. They're all in agreement. You know, every possible angle of who a person can be, they're all in agreement with her or, you know, with what she's supposed to be, what she's supposed to do. The thing is, is that even though they're all in agreement, just like they are for me, she's the opposite of all of those things in reality, in real life. And honestly, I don't understand it. <laughs> it's like, it's like the systems work on everybody else. And then it comes to her and she's like, Nope, I'm not going to conform. <laughs> I mean, that's just not, she's very soft-spoken and all of that, but it's, I haven't figured it out yet. And, you know, as her dad, of course, I'm very curious. Uh, Kat said, is Cordy the child that had the serious health issues when she was a baby? Yeah. And that could have something to do with it, perhaps. I mean, um, in her first 18 months, I guess, she was in the hospital 14 times. And each of those visits was typically a week to two weeks. Um, she had, uh, she had kidney issues. Um, I forget the name of it now, but here's the thing that's weird about it. Um, when she was young, she, well, when she was real little, um, she had this, this, uh, issue and both, uh, her, the valves 
in the um, the tubes that run from her bladder to her kidneys didn't work correctly. And so as a result, um, whenever her body made urine, instead of preventing the urine from flowing into the kidneys, it would go back and forth. And so it would create uh, these um, infections, like kidney infections and stuff like that. And she would go into retention to where she couldn't pee. And uh, so, you know, you can only imagine how that would be for a, a infant. Um, very painful. <coughs> and so, um, uh, and it was bilateral, so both sides. And uh, so there was this uh, surgery that was supposed to happen, which did happen. And um, we later found out that the uh, physician who operated decided without our knowledge to try an experimental procedure, which did not work. Um, could have been a rich family. Should have sued that guy. But anyway, um, when we went to the follow-up vision, he threw a, uh, a bag of small uh, catheters in her lap and said, um, the only way she's ever going to be able to pee is through catheterization, so you might as well get used to it now. You know, and of course, we made up our minds that that wasn't going to be the case. And I was already starting to awaken, I guess, to some of the concepts of new thought and all of that, just starting. And um, so, I, like, one of the things that I did was made a, this list of um, things that I wanted to see happen in our lives. And I was very detailed. I described it all. And, of course, obviously, it included Cordy being healed. And so uh, it included moving to Pennsylvania because we were living in New Jersey at the time and all of that. And um, so ultimately, we did move to New Jersey because uh, or to PA because uh, I was offered a job here uh, for the Christian Publishing Company. But also... Um, <clears throat> Hershey Medical Center isn't very far from here and it's a teaching medical facility and so they do a lot of experimental type things and so uh, we connected with a specialist there and so we had to go there like an hour and a half away we had to go there every couple of weeks at first um, for them to kind of monitor her and all of that so one of the things that they discovered and all these nuclear kinds of tests and everything, was that she had an adult-sized bladder. And um, as a result, she couldn't tell when she really had to go to the bathroom because, it, you know, normally as your bladder fills, you get the sense of urgency and then you got to pee and, you know, so on. So she couldn't even tell. And because it was an adult-sized bladder, um, like bladders don't shrink. It's impossible. They just don't, um, because there's no there's no muscles in them. You know, the skin can't retract or whatever. Um, and so there really wasn't a whole lot that they could do for her that way. <clears throat> and I remember, like, she would start to have pain, and she was walking now by this point. Um, and so our goal was to try to get her to pee on her own without having to use a catheter. 
And so every night as a little kid, around the same time, she would run around the dining room table because we found that sometimes if she was running, it would get her mind off of, I can't pee. And then eventually it would happen and she'd be able to go. So uh, as time went on, she made up her mind as she started to figure some things out that she was going to be healed. We're talking three or four year old by this point. And uh, of course, you know, the doctor said that that was impossible like they always do. Um, but I remember going down to one of her tests in Hershey and um, she, they, they ran all the tests and everything just as a follow-up to see how she was doing. And uh, they discovered that not only had her um, ureters completely healed and reset, but the um, scar tissue that she had from the surgery was gone and her bladder was the size it was supposed to be for her age, which is impossible according to medical science to the point where the doctors literally, literally wrote in her file that it was a miracle. Like they ascribed it as uh, to being a miracle because there was no medical explanation for it. A couple years later, when she was a little older, um, she needed to wear glasses. And she, um, we got her glasses and everything. She hated them. And so one day she announced that uh, she was going to get her eyes healed. And, of course, you know, as supporting parents, we wanted to agree with her and support her and everything. <coughs> I mean, she's five or six by now. And so um, it came time for her to have her next vision test done shortly after that announcement. And her eyes were normal. She, had, uh, she was able to give up her glasses. A couple years after that um, is when we started doing um, dancing and stuff uh, for Native American events powwows we had a, a non-profit organization called healing the land and um courtney had a dream that she was called to be a healer and um in native american culture there's a dance called jingle dress that is a healing dance and so she wanted to be a jingle dress dancer she let us know which you can't just choose to be a jingle dress dancer. You actually have to be recognized by Native American elders as somebody having a gift, um, which she was. Um, and then I remember going to our local Joanne Fabrics to get the fabric to make this dress. Um, her, my first wife, went inside to get that uh, material and stuff. And... Um, I stayed in the car. Well, actually, I was standing outside the car because it was a really nice day. And all of a sudden, I noticed that there was an eagle circling the car. Like, straight above the car, circling. 
Um, which if you're not paying attention to what animals are doing around you, you need to start paying attention. You know, just having a deer run across the road in front of you or a hawk sitting in the tree or flying in front of your car as you're driving down the road, that isn't just nature happening. Okay. Maybe we'll talk more about that another time, but there's a lot more to it than just a random event. Um, and so, um, as soon as she came out, the eagle left. So turns out she did do jingle dress dance for a number of years um, at the Palo Alto. There were half a dozen or more amazing healings uh, happen while she was dancing, including people being he uh, healed from cancer and all kinds of crazy, impossible things. And sometimes, not every time, sometimes, I remember she was doing this one healing dance for somebody who had been injured during 9-11, and he was there as a firefighter. He was at the powwow. And as soon as the drum started and she started dancing, there were two eagles that came in and circled the dance circle. The entire time she was dancing, and as soon as she finished... They flew away in opposite directions. Exactly east and west. It was very interesting. And so, you know, there's a lot of experiences like that in her life, which, um, interestingly enough now, she doesn't dance at all. Um, she's wearing glasses again, and so on. I mean, she's, she's a full-time mom. And, uh, I often wonder about those early experiences of her growing up. And there's a lot more. I mean, both my girls, you know, you think my life is weird, you know, grow up in the household. Um, <laughs> we had lots of weird experiences together um, with, you know, spirits and all kinds of stuff. Courtney and I used to sit and watch uh, ghost hunters and make fun of them freaking out, you know, because the little tiny things that they were experiencing on the TV show were like nothing compared to what we experienced in real life. But, um, but anyway, so I don't know if, uh, because of all of those experiences that that's what shifted things for her. Like, I just don't know. And honestly, I never really thought about it much before now, um, that that could have had something to do. Like she was supposed to be something, but then that mission changed somehow. You know, I mean, who knows? It's hard to say. But it was just, it's always been curious to me how doesn't matter what I, you know, what kind of uh, insight you normally gain from experiences like that. Uh, she's always been opposite every for every single one. Anyway, that was a really long story to <laughs> prove a point, I guess. Uh, Chris says Black Liquid equals District 9. Oh, I forgot about that movie. Cat <laughs> uh, says, uh, Can you provide a link to your friend? It's Natalie, but yeah, I can do that. 
In my own journey, there is a recurring theme that I came to understand that was a mirror for other people. What you were saying is the closest explanation I have heard outside my own personal experience. Yeah, I'll look up Nash, uh, Natalie's link and share that for sure. Uh, Karen asks, have you ever looked at A Course in Miracles? It teaches how to clarify the mind and see the world as it really is. I'm a month in now. I'm familiar with it, but I've never read it. And these days I'm trying to not read much only because I don't want it to influence things. I mean, I'm reading a few things, but nothing that's super um, enlightening, I guess. Uh, Kat says, in line with your view of things, we say all the time, losing our mind is a big one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I had that show up in a really intriguing and real way just the other day i was going through facebook and um there's this one uh facebook group that i belong to i forget what it's called the resonance project or something like that and uh there's a guy on gaia that um i like to follow um his name is going to escape me right now but Anyway, he had this uh, upcoming retreat that they were live casting um, for. And um, so he was being joined by this other person, um, like a shaman kind of guy. And uh, what, what caught me as interesting was as soon as I saw the picture of uh, this guy that I follow, and this shaman guy, and I guess it was his wife, I immediately had a, a reaction to it. And um, this guy, and follow along with me here, because this is going to sound stereotypical, but it's just where my brain was. So this guy, you know, had on these really funky weirdo looking robes and you know, this horny grin on his face, and he, like, he looked what you would consider, uh, like a spiritual guru would look like, you know, just kind of out there in La La Land, one too many hits of ayahuasca or something. Um, not that I'm necessarily opposed to that, but just, you know, a very stereotypical kind of spiritual guru. That's what he looked like. And, um, Immediately, I had a reaction to that. And I I don't know the guy. I'd never heard of him before. And so, you know, immediately, I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Why did I react to this person? And what I ultimately figured out was that a lot of the insights that I've been gaining are very much in that stream. You know, not saying that I'm a shaman or anything like that. I'm not saying I'm anything. But... I noticed that I had an objection and this isn't, this is a belief. This is one of those black liquid moments that I had an objection to. I don't want to embrace this level of understanding and secrets of the universe and stuff. If I'm going to end up looking like that guy, like I don't want to be that guy. 
and it was very visceral for me. And so it's been, it's been a, this is just uh gosh, last week. And so it's one of those things that I'm exploring. Like, first of all, I'm not that guy. So why on earth would I think that I would be like that person? You know, but I've had a lot of negative interactions with, um, spiritual leaders in, uh, I don't even know how to describe it without sounding weird. I've had objections to ways the truth has been presented. I'll put it that way. Um, as a bunch of bullshit, you know, it's like, oh, for Christ's sake, put on normal clothes. You know, why do you have to dress like that? Are you playing a role? You know, or you see, like, I used to date this girl years, 12 years ago, gosh. And I remember going to visit her house and I couldn't find her. I go upstairs and uh, she's laying on her bed listening to some, you know, frequency music. And she's got incense burning. And she has this, uh, um, it was a sacred geometry drawing on her chest. And she had a pyramid, an actual pyramid uh, on her head. And I said, what are you doing? And she, she said, well, uh, you know, after she responded to me, she, she's like, well, I, uh, I have a bill that I really need to get paid. And I don't have the money for it. So I was just focusing on the abundance of the world that's around me and, and calling it in using, uh, you know, the vibrations of this sacred geometry symbol and blah, blah, blah. Right. Now I'm a big fan of sacred geometry. I have a pyramid sitting right behind me. So it's not like I'm opposed to those things, but my response to her was, how about getting a job? Cause she wasn't working. She was unemployed. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you need to pay your car payment, maybe you should get a job. And so that's what I mean. Like I, we don't need to go so freaking woo woo crazy out there you know when there's a more practical explanation and i guess for me i just ha have had this belief which is a limiting belief and i recognize that that if i embrace some of the truths especially what i've been getting in the downloads that i'm gonna turn out like that <laughs> like some you know carnival freak show person um, and that's not the case at all. And I don't mean any disrespect to those people because I don't know them, but yet it was just curious that that image evoked a reaction in me. So that was a personal struggle. That's no disrespect to the person that I saw. Um, cause I don't know him, you know, I may fi spend five minutes talking to the dude and be like, okay, you're my new guru. <laughs> you know, you're my new Buddha. Um, who knows? It was just the the look of it that had this very strong reaction, created a strong reaction in me that I thought was incredibly curious. Because I remember thinking, too, like with this guy that I followed, very brilliant scientist and all of that. And I'm think, I remember thinking, come on, dude, you're better than this. You know, <laughs> like I remember thinking that. And then pulling back from that later and just kind of examining my response to it is it, just a very curious thing to me. And we all do that in one form or another. Most of the time, 
it's completely invisible to us. You know, I mean, I've even seen it with, you know, the elections and everything going on in the country. You know, if you're a Democrat, Republicans think of you a certain way. And if you're a Republican, Democrats think of you a certain way. And both sides see the other as the exact same thing. It's kind of hilarious. Um, and so that's why, to me, the easier position is, you know, look, we're individuals. Believe what you want. You know, it's like, well, you believe this or so you're stupid. You know, how could you possibly ever say that? Um, so anyway, I digress. Uh, William says, really, really good statement. Um, it's important to understand the, the distinction between truth and fact. Facts don't change. Truth is subjective based on individual perspective, based on our values and beliefs. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Cat uh, says, every time I catch myself in the comment of I am losing my mind, I celebrate my progress. Well, and one thing that I've been studying lately that is very interesting, it came up again today. I was reading um, some quotes by this guy named Terrence McKenna, who was, uh, he died in 2000, but he was very, uh, uh, very much a, an evangelist for um, uh, taking psychedelic drugs, <laughs> which, not that I'm, out to start taking psychedelics, but, uh, he had some very interesting insights, you know, from his various, uh, uh, trips and stuff. And one of the things he was talking about was, uh, words and language and the limitations that they bring into things. And I, it caught my attention because I found multiple times with these download experiences, I think I've even said it once or twice that, I find um, language very limiting because there's just some things that I can't explain that I've seen um, because I like there's not words that can effectively explain what I've seen. Um, but anyway, um, Lori says, "So you have voices in your head. Do you argue with them? Yes. Uh, and who wins them every time?" <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, the government has been using frequencies to talk to people in their head into killing others for a very long time. That's also true. Um, and Chris shared a link on seeing sound. Synesthesia. I'll copy and paste that into chat in case any of you want to check it out. Thank you, Chris. I like how, uh, Chris also says, I like how you say yet to things. Um, Carol says, I've been told that I'm a reverser. Is that one of the five types? Uh, no, I don't think so. Marjorie says, I went to Natalie's site, never received the basic report. Uh, maybe it was a glitch. Uh, she was having some web problems, so could have been uh, Carol also says I feel blocked in manifesting an amount of money I want to fix up my house so are you saying that 
To bust my limiting beliefs, I need to use love, etc. If so, on what? So I'll tell you my little secret uh, for manifesting money. Um, this is a an interaction that uh, Chris and I actually have a lot. My my position on income uh, is that first of all you have to be extremely. I don't, no, I don't want to say it that way. Very often, the limiting belief that we bump into the most regarding money um, is in how we view what our sources for money is. I'll give you for instance. Um, I could say that the uh, my primary source of income uh, are my customers who purchase my courses. And that's true. That is my primary source of income. Not my only one, but my primary one. So that is a fact that's been proven for 15 years. However, if when in a position of need, I recognize my customers as my source of income, I make decisions based on that meaning that, oh crap, I need more money, therefore I need to create another course. Now, I create a lot of courses, admittedly, because it's what I enjoy doing. But for me to say, I need more money, therefore I need to do X, in that place, I am looking to my customers as my source. Every time I've done that, which hasn't actually been very many times, it's fallen flat. And what I ultimately understood, came to understand was that my customers aren't my source. You guys aren't my source. As a matter of fact, there is only one source. You could say it's the library in the context of our discussion here, but... Um, the source is that we're surrounded by abundance. So uh, whenever you accept the fact that we're surrounded by abundance and that gratitude is the activator. I mean, anything that's higher vibration, so love and all of that, love ties into gratitude, um, you know, so on and so forth. Gratitude is the activator. Now all of a sudden, you open up an opportunity for the money that you need to come in in any imaginable or unimaginable form. So you're not looking to your job. You're not looking to your customers. You're not looking to a relative loaning you the money. You're not necessarily looking to a bank to borrow the money. You know, you're just open to what makes the most sense. Um, and so my how my mental positioning is, is one way or another, everything is going to work out as it needs to. You could say it like others have said in the past, this or something better. Okay, so like using a vision board or something like that. 
But for me, I always take the position, look, I have no idea how this is going to happen, but it's going to happen. One way or another, it's all going to work out. And uh, the reality is, from an experimentation perspective, the reality is that it's never failed ever. Ever. And I've been in some really financially precarious times uh, over the years uh, since I started embracing this. And um, I can say 100% with, you know, absolute proof that it didn't matter what the need was. One way or another, it worked out to the point where, you know, Kristen now just looks at me and shakes her head and says, how did you do that? <laughs> it's like, how did I do what? You know, and, and so it comes from a belief. Not that you have to do something or make something or create something or whatever. It comes to from the belief that it already exists. And, and you're not choosing to limit how that actually shows up. There's other things that kind of that are cool that kind of play into that as well. Like, for instance, I was here this morning at my computer and I was listening to uh, uh, meditation music. And uh, was doing some reading. And uh, so I had AirPods in. I couldn't hear anything <laughs> other than just the music. And uh, all of a sudden, I get this phone call from Kristen. She's on the other side of the house. And I noticed my phone light up, so I took out the AirPods and answered. And she's like, I need your help right away. One of the cats got down in the basement, and that's a no-no because we keep our basement cat-free because my one grandson is allergic to cats, and he breaks out in the hives and asthma attacks and stuff like that. So, so it's a big deal if a cat gets down into the basement. And so... I walked down to the basement and she's like, I'm trying to catch taco and she won't let me pick her up. And she's as soon as I move toward her, she runs away and I've been chasing her back and forth and throughout the basement all morning or for the last half hour. And she's like, can you please see what you can do? And I said, sure. So I see where taco is sitting and I said, taco you're not supposed to be down here and i walked over to her she rolled over on her back and meowed and i just picked her right up like immediately <laughs> and once again kristen looked at me and she's like how do you do that i don't know just you know one way or another it's all going to work out so it isn't even necessarily money you know, but it's not like I'm straining extra hard or believing a certain way or spouting off some kind of a mantra 50 times a day or like none of that ever worked for me. You know, positive affirmations. It does work for some people, I guess, but it's never really worked for me. Um, it's just a simple belief that one way or another, it's all going to work out. Um, do I set an intention in mind? Usually, yeah. You know, I need $10,000 by Friday and I've got $500 in my account. 
um, go, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, it's Tuesday. I need to go Friday, but, uh, I have to be really cautious, me personally, not to try to figure out how to make that happen. And whenever I hold myself in a position of openness and not discount anything, anything that comes to mind, that's another big thing. A lot of people are getting answers and insights into how to accomplish what they want to or how to get extra money or, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. Uh, and, and thoughts come into their mind usually almost immediately and we discount them. Maybe we just kind of glaze right over them because of the stress and worry that we're in. Or maybe we say, oh, that's stupid, you know, or it's like, well, I can't do that or whatever the case may be. And we miss it. That's why it's so important to be situationally aware. Situational awareness is like a foreign concept to most people. Nobody really seems to know what on earth is going on around them at any given moment. We're so caught up in making sure that we return that text while we're driving, you know, or whatever the case may be, or, you know, the latest episode of whatever on YouTube or Netflix. And so, you know, we toss situational awareness out the door, but we have to pay attention. That's like I, going back to what I said earlier, you know, if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden a hawk comes out of nowhere and flies right in front of your car, it's not just nature doing its thing. It has meaning. Like first question out of your mouth or first statement out of your mouth shouldn't be, oh, look, that was a hawk. If you even saw it, first thing out of your mouth should be, what does that mean? Why did you just fly in front of my car? You know? But most people don't think like that. And so we're literally inundated with answers to everything we need. They exist in nature. They exist in invisible form all around us. And most of the time we miss it because we're not paying attention. We're not aware. And so what I would encourage you to try or to do, Carol, is take that position. You know, you have set in your mind what you want to accomplish. And so just take the position in gratitude. You know what? I don't know how it's going to work out, but one way or another, it's all going to work out exactly the way it needs to. And then just give thanks for that and see what happens. And that's like a whole bonus session right there. That's good. Um, I don't think Courtney was ever close to death. Cat. Not that I can think of. Uh, Lori says, um, uh, could it be the monster that was in your house was attached to your girls? Um, no, that was, um, that was a familiar, uh, that was attached to my ex-wife that is now attached to my granddaughter. And so we're working on that one. Um, is a generational connection uh, through a line of females. Uh, Karen says, Courtney was fortunate they have parents who didn't tell her that what she wanted was impossible. Uh, most of us uh, of our generation were talked out of our beliefs during childhood. Yeah, that's very true. And you know what? I'd love to say that I got it right all the time, but it just didn't. There was a lot of times where I messed up. Um, 
when the girls were young, I would say up until they were nine or ten, I'd love to say that I was a great father, but I just wasn't. I wasn't a great dad. I didn't know what to do with kids, you know? And um, there was a lot that I hadn't figured out about myself yet. But I can't take that back. And I can't live in regret over it. Um, because that's very dangerous also. So the only thing that I can do now is be the best dad that I can be and the best grandfather that I can be. It's kind of like getting a second chance, so to speak, with having grandchildren. Um, but, yeah, there were things that I got wrong, for sure. <laughs> and probably more wrong than right back in those days. Um, I didn't put Natalie's link in the chat uh, because I'm not sure what it is off the top of my head. But I'll look it up and post it in a Facebook group. It actually might be in the Facebook group. Now to think about it, if you go back a little bit to um, when we were in the previous, uh, previous version of Nerd Unscripted, which would have been what? Um, what was, where are we now? Uh, December 2019 or 18, somewhere around there. Uh, Lori says, manifesting money comes from creating value for others. Yeah, that's a very uh, uh, practical way of looking at it for sure. Yeah, the paralysis that I found in the dreams um, a couple times was very, there were extenuating circumstances. Um, the one time, um, like there were a couple times I think that were, there was fear associated with it. Um, there was a couple times, like I remember I had this one dream where I ended up paralyzed, uh, where In this dream, I was having a conversation with somebody who I knew, and uh, we were talking about um, an occurrence that actually happened where um, it was the middle of the night, perfectly calm, but yet there was this interesting music on the wind. There wasn't anybody playing CD or something like that. It was like three in the morning, and... It was very interesting. But anyways, I was talking to this guy about it. And he's like, well, you think that's cool. Check this out. And he pushes in the dream on my chest. And whenever he hit my chest, it woke me up. Except that I couldn't speak. And I couldn't move. <coughs> Another time. <clears throat> um, I woke up in the middle of the night. And I couldn't move. And I couldn't talk. And um, I looked like where the bed was positioned. It's actually in the same position it is now. I could see toward the bedroom window. And um, there were these glowing orbs of light. Probably a dozen or two dozen of them. 
uh, suddenly came into the room from the window. And it was like they were pulsating in colors and just kind of flying over the ceiling and all of that. At the time, I didn't know what they were. Um, I've since realized that they weren't negative things. But, um, you know, in my defense, we had a lot of negative things come into the house. So I didn't know. You know, I was just fed up with it. And so finally, after a while of them just kind of doing their thing over top of me, I was able to start speaking. And I told them that they needed to leave, that they needed to get out. And they, uh, whenever I said that, they started popping like bubbles pop, you know, because um, it looked very much like that. And so you're just like, pop, 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 pop. It was very interesting. And then the room went dim again. So I think in most of those cases, there was a, like a spiritual component or an alien component, one or the other, um, associated with them. But I don't know. Really good point, Catherine. Um, she says, when you try to make something happen, you confirm to the universe that it doesn't exist. So it doesn't. Well put. Okay, well, um, one way or another, um, actually, let me... Uh, we need to wrap this up because we're over two hours, but... Um, let me do a quick search, see if I can find it. Okay. Um, now I don't know if her form still works. Um, but this is her site. I just posted it to chat. So, um, Natalie Marie Collins is, uh, dot com is her website and then a uh, free human design chart. So she may have a link to it on her front page. Maybe not. Yeah, if you go to her main site, nataliemariecollins.com, and then she has a link at the top called Activating Magic, um, and then a free human design chart. But she's not the only one that offers them. There's multiple sites, and I've tried multiples just to see if I get a different result. And um, every single time, it's the same result, so... Uh, you should be able to transfer that to a new computer, uh, Catherine, uh, to Best Labs. Yeah, their, their deal, $299 for everything, is a pretty good deal, for sure. Uh, some, some questions, Gary, I don't uh, answer at all or they're just comments. Um, sometimes I 
don't read them out completely because they're personal. Um, so, and sometimes I do read them. Uh, Gary asks, is your taking a position of gratitude uh, a prayer to God? I guess you could say it that way. I don't see it that way. But you could say it that way for sure. I mean, you could say that a lot of what we say or do are a form of prayer or worship from a position of the church. You could very easily say that. Um, and I have said that at times as a Bible teacher. But my current position, I, I don't know that I would phrase it that way. It doesn't make it any less true necessarily, but I wouldn't portray it that way now. I used to refer to it as Christianese, which is uh, one of the things that I always found kind of enjoyable when I was still in leadership, but I was shifting very heavily in my belief system, is that I could take a lot of new age and new thought teaching and rephrase it in Christianese to a point where people would accept it in church, um, which I always found kind of funny because if they understood where the content was coming from in a certain book or teaching or whatever, they'd reject it flat out. But because I said it using certain words, they accepted it, which to me brings out a lot of different points that we don't have time to talk about today. But anyway, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's going to be it. <laughs> Long one today. <clears throat> sorry, not sorry, um, but my throat is getting really dry and I'm out of water in the room here. So um, until next week, I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week this week, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>